You're listening to Inside the Outdoors, presented by People for Bikes and the Outdoor Industry Association, where we discuss the latest market trends in outdoor recreation. And now, here are your hosts, Kelly Davis and Patrick Hogan. Hey everyone, welcome to this week's episode of Inside the Outdoors. I'm your host, Patrick Hogan. In this episode, Kelly and I expand on last week's discussion of Zoom towns by talking about the recent trend of small businesses opening up in small towns. What function do small operations serve when it comes to outdoor recreation participation? How have social media trends allowed small businesses to find niche audiences and successfully sell unique products? Let's get into it. Yeah, the way I see it, or what I've been seeing in the data is we've, we heard about the migration to Zoom towns, right? Yeah. And we've got data that indicates that indeed that happened. A lot of people moved to places like Jackson Hole and, and Mammoth and even Stowe, Vermont. And we have the data to back it up, both real estate data, we've got population data. I think we need to have a discussion about what that's done. And there are a couple of things that that's done. Number one, I'm seeing a lot of small businesses opening up in these little towns. And so I've talked yeah. to a couple of them in outdoor. You know, a lot of them are making maybe two or three SKUs of apparel, you know, trying to make it high end, trying to manufacture in the United States, but keeping it small or trying to make a snowboard, you know, keeping it small. And the idea is that we've, we've got a lot of people that are, want to live in these towns, but it's getting increasingly more expensive to do so. And they're coming up with all kinds of ways to either augment their income or really they have a dream of starting a company you know, based on their passion, which is why they moved to that town, which is why they live there. And so we're seeing all kinds of direct-to-consumer pop-ups coming out from these towns, you know, and they can, they can use that in their marketing, like, hey, direct from Jackson Hole, it's this cool product. But these, it's a lot of them that I'm talking to that their biggest focus isn't to blow up, isn't to be the next Patagonia. Their idea is to, to do something cool that they can be proud of and make a living that allows them to live that lifestyle they so, they so enjoy and are making products for. And I, two examples would be Budinsky and in, in she's making, that's Kelly Mansky, she's making fleece base layer shorts and these awesome pants that are sort of down in the front and sort of a stretch fleece on the back. Gorgeous pants. Like I definitely want a pair. Interesting. Right? And they're making, so she's manufacturing in the U.S., bringing product to market. She did a pre, we did, she did a pre-sale and, you know, basically sold enough units to, to do the manufacturing and boom, you know, there, she's off and running. There's a company in Steamboat and Steamboat is interesting because it does have, it's a little town with a lot of big brands. Yeah. But was, yeah. But when Smartwell left Steamboat, it left a, it left a little bit of a vacuum for people. And I'm seeing little, little businesses pop point. up among the Smartwell people. For, for example, Robin Hall started, started Town Hall. They're doing cool apparel for outdoor kids and they're doing it as a socially responsible company. I think it's a B Corp designation. Oh, so her, okay. So her goal is not just that it's just to do enough, do business well enough to keep up this basically the not-for-profit not side and, and help the kids with Steamboat out. How yeah. cool is that? So, That's and amazing. I'm seeing, I'm seeing examples of that pop up pretty much all over America in these little towns. I bet we're going to see some cool things pop up in places like Bentonville. I bet we're going to see some cool oh, things yeah. pop up in places like Stowe and all over Vermont and New Hampshire, really. And I'm I'm here for it. Have you seen anything like that happening on your side of the island, Mike? We do have some, we have some like niche companies that are doing made in America stuff. 
we have Allied that's working out of Bentonville, but I don't think that's quite the same as like what you're describing. Yeah, and it's not all just made in America. There are plenty of people that have ideas yeah. and know how to do contract manufacturing in places where you, you your sourcing's easier and frankly the skill set is better. It's really specific. Like if you got if you have really high end apparel, I mean, there's cut and sew in New York and, and L.A. and probably down in the Carolinas. It's a little it, and probably a little bit in Denver. But it's I mean, it's not easy to do. It's it's difficult. It's difficult to start a little company. It's going to be interesting to see how this how this rolls out, you know, as as we get further away from the start of the pandemic. I don't know if the yeah. pandemic's ever over. <laughs> if I keep saying that people keep reaming me for it. But I think this is a new pattern. I think that we're going to be seeing this more and more. And I think that the metaverse only only accelerates this. If the if we actually get to a place that, you know, the geeks are dreaming of right now, where we're all wearing VR goggles and walking around as avatars shopping from based on NFTs don't, and things like don't that. Don't say the geeks like you're not one of those geeks, okay? <laughs> you're in the group. That's true. You're in That's the group. True. That's why I'm allowed to say it. Yeah, right? I'm just saying they're not other, you're part of them. Um I'm worse. I'm like a nerd. <laughs> nah, it's worse. Because I'm not um, really even, I'm not good at coding. That makes me a mm, nerd instead of a okay. geek, I think. Yeah. You have me. I can help. Um, Thanks, man. I, I'm, sorry, I'm sorry to have interrupted you. You were saying get get to this place where we're all shopping constantly and we're we're living in this like metaverse like you've, you've described a few times. Keep going with that thought. And well, you know, start talking about the suit. Yeah. <laughs> you've got a, you're wearing a you're wearing a cert, suit for your virtual adventures. I think that this is sort of a postmodernist view of what business looks like when you can get all of these little companies that are that are popping up. And it doesn't I mean, what does it take to, to start an LLC if you've got an idea and you want to mm-hmm. you've, you've got a product idea and you think you can do it? A lot of people pulling that trigger. And I think it's you know, we've got a couple of brave generations that are that are really leading the charge here. And that's millennials and Gen Z. They're not afraid to try this. They're not afraid to take a risk. And the gig economy has made it so that, you know, you understand that there are a lot of different ways to make money. The job market's good. So I think that we're seeing a lot of young people taking a risk, you know, in the in a sort of a postmodern business world where anybody can take a risk and start a business. Yeah. And if you're not, if you're not fixated on sort of the traditional view that your business must always grow, you should be, you should be striving to grow. I think that that it not an outright rejection an idea that hey we should make some money and grow a bit but not a not having you know um, a strategic goal of becoming a large company a large corporation that manufactures the coolest stuff in outdoors that is not the vision anymore for these people. That's interesting. So so help me tie this back to outdoor recreation and and I think this is you know the answer is going to end up somewhere similar to where we were with Zoom towns and like how, how does this migration translate into outdoor rec participation actually i'm gonna i'm gonna you're you're i think you jumped too far so i'm gonna oh no gonna, oh no i'm gonna i'm gonna step it walk us to there where you want to be yeah um number one this is like this means that they're niche products for niche customers right yeah. so marketing is gonna have to get a lot sharper like we're gonna have to do a better job of finding target markets for these folks because they can't do the shotgun approach and expect to survive. They've got to find their target market. If they're making very specialized gear or very yeah. specialized apparel, and it, I mean, price point is is not friendly when you're small and you're busting your ass to, to get something done closer to home, right? Mm-hmm. What what uh, Kelly from Budinsky said to me just yesterday, in fact, 
when I was talking about this, I was like, well, you know, don't you want to grow? Don't you want to, don't you want to have, you know, about just think about it. What if you could be Patagonia? She says, no, what I want to do in my town that I live in is provide some jobs. She wants to create jobs, right? She wants to have, she wants just a decent living for her and her husband. You know, she's not, she doesn't want to move into some McMansion, you know, some, some glorified log cabin. She's like, I want to provide jobs for my community. Uh, you know, I, and I want to make good product for the people that are doing the things that that we share a love for. And I just want to support myself. And it, the idea that that she's just thinking about creating jobs in her community and doing good things in her community is sort of a different push than we would see. You know, that certainly wasn't in my business, in my B-School 101. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Be kind to yeah, each yeah, other. Yeah. So I think there's a, there's another element to this that, that plays into to community. And, you know, if you're if you're living in those communities hey, you need somebody to be creating jobs, you know, you you need that you need that kind of economic stimulus in those communities, because a lot of people that that bought in those communities, as you well know, do not live in those communities Mm -hmm. and 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 raise the cost for people that do live in those communities in, in some sometimes obscene ways. Yeah. So in terms of participation, the interesting thing about this, I'm not sure it has an effect on participation overall, Patrick. I don't. What I think what it does is it, it, it in a postmodern market, everybody can find exactly the product they want, right? Which is really mm-hmm. weird because it's all niche. And I think I think we're going to see more niche products in the market, which may, which may help engage the millions of people. For instance, 10 million people started hiking during the pandemic and they're not stopping. In fact, they're they're hiking more. That's what my data is telling me. If we could yeah. provide them with niche products that make them want it, that they're like, cool, I'm part of the community. I'm hiking. It's so cool. That's great for participation. Engagement is what we need now. Engagement. Engagement. Of, yeah. And and I think that, you know, having people that care about the community, you know, it's not all about business for them. It's not all just bottom line. You know, they're interested in in you know something a little softer than than just selling product, right? They're interested in in you know doing it for actually for a reason that isn't simply capitalistic. Is they want yeah. to do good in their community, and I think I think this could be really good for those communities. Um, you know, there's a what I'm saying is that I think in some of those Zoom towns there's an income inequality problem, and yeah. I think this could help. Um, I, I think we even like described that income inequality problem last time. And you touched on it just now too, when, when highly educated, high income earners move from urban areas to those zoom towns, they bring their high incomes with them and they drive up prices simply because small towns have a like somewhat fixed supply of housing. And, and as the more desirable houses become more expensive, everything property increases, you know, like there's a snowball effect. Yeah. I, I like that we're offering hope for those folks who might live in those zoom towns, but have been there for longer and, and they need that that sort of gig economy style push to like stay in that that zoom town stay active stay engaged with their community yeah and it's it's in the best interest of everybody to keep those real estate prices high but it's yeah. the tax burden that you're putting on locals is really that's that's tough yeah the tax burden you're putting on locals and in the the disparity between you know, like the, the folks who need to work those retail jobs and work those hospitality <clears> jobs that are, are located in those Zoom towns and their inability to like find housing that's affordable for them to like, you know, swing their their minimum wage into rent or into some lease. You know, like that's that's becoming tough as a result of the same the same transition from urban to Zoom town. But it, it strikes me that, you know, I'm just sort of waiting to see 
if this could happen anywhere where it gets to the point where, you know, the people that actually do the work cannot afford to live close enough to do the work. What happens I, then? <laughs> I, th- I think that might've already happened in a couple of Colorado ski towns, but uh, uh-huh. you might, you might know better than me. I don't, I'm not going to call anyone out. Yeah. Me, me either. I think, I think we could all imagine, you know, what towns those might, we might be talking about, but yeah, you know, it hasn't, it hasn't been bad enough yet. They'll just find out just, you know, just put another little crumb on the pile. What would it take yeah. to get you to drive yeah. two hours? From it? <laughs> what can yeah. we give you? What little tiny thing besides a ski pass and $22 an hour can we give you to drive three hours to work every day? <laughs> I've got a friend who's a nurse in a ski town and she still can't afford to be in that yeah. ski town. She's got to be two towns over. And that's not that's not a you know server at a, at a restaurant. That's a nurse. Yeah. I mean, imagine where teachers live. Where do the firefighters live? Yeah. Where do the lifties That's a great live? Question. You know, it's where do the kid, where do the people that work at the gas station, the grocery store, the restaurants, yeah. where do they live? I mean, it, it's the it's. I'm interested in this in this effect, especially in those towns. You know, what happens when? You know, and there are a number of different things that I think do happen. Like, you know, wage and compensation packages do get better. City councils are going to have to deal with the income tax problem or the property tax yeah, problem. Yeah. You know, it's great to have all the. It's great to have that tax revenue coming in. I mean, locals can't afford to pay taxes, and so the the people that would send their kids to schools and use all of those all of those excellent government services that are now being well well funded. So mm-hmm. what do you what do you do when you, it's a, it's like you've got a surplus of tax revenue and rapidly decreasing supply of labor? That's a great question. I don't I don't know I I don't know if that's. Yeah. I would imagine that would be a, more of a problem in towns that are more isolated. Right. Yeah. Like it's probably not as big of a problem in a place like, you know, think of some places actually like anywhere in this in the like the Utah boomtown, even oh, Park sure. City. I mean, it's not going to happen there because you I mean, you can afford to live in Salt Lake. But in places like, say, you know, Jackson Hole or Aspen or Vail or Mammoth or even Truckee at this point. Oh, sure. I mean, we just go, we could just go, you know, we could just instill Vermont. We just go around, you know, the, the country and see and just say, okay, these are the variables. These are the, we're looking at isolated epic outdoor towns, whether it's for skiing or riding or climbing or hiking or proximity to Yosemite or proximity to, to um, Yellowstone. It's, we can, we can isolate those variables. And I think we'll, I think we should monitor it over time, Patrick, just to see what happens and to see what happens with those little businesses and to see if this, this does impact participation. And my, my question back to you, since I assume it was rhetorical, what do you think happens to participation? Oh, you know, when I asked that question, I, I was posing it from the viewpoint of the business owner who has relocated to that area because they want to participate in their outdoor rec activity. That's like, the same passion that fuels their their niche product offering, you know. I was doing it more on the micro level, but yeah, well, I, I I dig your answer that the more customized and niche a product can be to like help us feel individual in our pursuit of our outdoor work activity, I do think that gets folks stoked about going outside. You know, it's no longer the case that the hunters that are going after big game are wearing army surplus stuff like they were like my my grandfather did when he came back from the second world war like there's a lot of niche hunting apparel bags gear everything down to the yeah knife cover on the binoculars 
where wins is, you know, um, every single thing, but it, it, you know, like I, I sometimes jokingly refer to it as like making everything into Barbie products because you can customize every single little thing. You can feel like yours is the only one that's, that's this certain way or whatever, but it does increase stoke. Like it gets folks excited about purchasing the things that set them aside from the other people doing that activity and, and anything like that, that, that gets people excited about going outside, I think is good for the sport, good for the activity. Yeah. I kind of look at it in in this way. Some I, I have sometimes I have really specific needs. Like there's a specific product or like I did this with bike seat. Like I want as close to custom as I can, not because I just want to be different, just because yeah. you know that's exactly what I need. I want to yeah. be able to find exactly what I need. I bought these one that one product that I bought a long time ago that was exactly what I needed. It was um moose mitts. Cause I was riding my bike in the winter time. Right. And, and they they were like, sure. they fit on your, so they permanently attached to your bars, right? You're, you're, okay. you know, so I put them on my little urban cruiser that I wanted to ride out around in the cold and, and they were, they were leather, they were fleece, they were handmade. They were, you could, so you just That's put amazing. your, your hands in them and your brake and everything was there. Your hands stayed posty warm. And I, I don't know what happened to them. I bought them for like 35 bucks, maybe, maybe I don't know, like 20 years ago. And I think I was throwing a party and somebody admired them and I was feeling good and told them they could have oh, them. No. <laughs> and oh, just no, figured, fool. Oh, I'll get more. But I'm so pissed because it's, I shouldn't have done that. I'm glad I did it because generosity is good. And there's somebody out there going, no, man, I got these things <laughs> called moose. But I mean, that that is the essence of what I think is the advantage of having a, a niche market is that you know I can find things like moose mitts like, and I just have to go around and search for somebody that's making something like I'm probably going to look for some little company in Duluth, which isn't exactly a boomtown, but I bet they know Moose Mitts. I bet oh, they sure. do. And that's yeah. that's the I think that's the spirit that a lot of these small companies could tap into. Like, oh, you you're from you're in Jackson. You're you know, you're a small company in Jackson. You understand me. You get me. I bet you're making something like fill in blank, you know, Moose Mitts whatever it might be that can, that can solve this particular problem for me. And I love that. I mean, maybe it's, there's always going to be, you know, there's always going to be the Patagonias. There's always going to be the, you know, the treks and specialized of the world, but this, this sort of this other, this other part of the market that is full of, of these niche players and growing day by day just makes the market more interesting for me. And not because I want to tell people that I'm different. I mean, I don't think I really have to tell people that. But <laughs> <laughs> I've managed that. I've managed that in my brand already. But if I can find, I mean, I want to moose mitts my life. I want to moose mitts yeah. my life, Patrick. I want to buttonski my life. I want specialty products. I want something that is that is just perfect for what I for you know exactly the job I want it to do. Who else is who else is going to make me a four ply fleece that I can wear under my ski pants and is built to do that and works perfectly? That way I don't have to wear some dumb leggings. It's awesome. They're awesome. I want that. That's that's what I need in my life more is that I don't want to buy a lot of bullshit. I want to buy exactly what I need. I I dig that we've we've sort of worked around to like there's no one product that serves every single purpose, but the the future of retail is going to be that really niche product for the unique individual or, or at least the individual who thinks they're unique. I love it. You, we started talking about marketing and, and how to communicate with these niche audiences. Was, was there more that you wanted to talk about there and how niche brands can reach 
just the exact consumers that they're looking for? Well, first thing I'd say is do your research, right? You call Patrick yeah. or I, and and, and, <laughs> well, and you there, know, there's plenty do. of other qualified researchers out there, but maybe we're. I'm biased. just find a market research expert. Yeah. The idea is to to really really segment your audience, and so you need to sit down with somebody that understands how to segment, which could be you or I, Patrick. And I've done this. I'm thinking about this. I've been doing a ton lately. Um, and I just, I just did something really custom for one of our members, um, where we're getting down to, this is the product that they want to, they're, they're putting in the market. And it's, it was, it's an established brand. So it's a little bit different, but it's a, it's a kind of a specialty product. And that we were talking about exactly, you know, how to drill down into the market to figure out who your customers are. So we built this, the uh, demographic and psychographic segment parsing for them. And I, and I built them three segments that they should be selling into. I, yeah. And it, and just helping them just think really deeply about exactly who they're selling to. You know, who yeah. do you, who do you think is going to buy this? Just imagine that individual. And then I took, and then I took the data that I have, you know, participation data, psychographic overlay data. You know what I'm, I'm not explaining this to you. I'm explaining this to our audience. I got you. I got you. Yeah, we, we'll talk about mansplaining in a second. Explain but, it to Drew. Drew, the, the audio tech, he needs to know. <laughs> hey, Drew. Just telling him because I know. Yeah. I mean, so the idea is that, hey, Drew. I mean, uh, Drew, imagine <laughs> you're trying to sell to a particular person, right? You're trying to sell podcasting production to a particular group. I mean, you can imagine the people that you're selling to. You can imagine exactly. You can think about what they do in their day-to-day lives. Think about what car they drive. Think about what motivates them. It's almost like acting. It's really fun because it's almost method acting when you're doing when you're doing some fun segmentation because you're like yeah. building a you're building a person. You're building your target customer. And she might be anybody until you start overlaying this data on her. And I could I could see that weirdly. I could see how that works in my head, but it confuses the hell out of most people. So in in, in the end, I'm I'm like, look, you know, if you you want to sell to female athletes that are 35 that both hike and and are interested in backpacking or have backpacked and trail run and i mean you just keep going on and on and on and i think mm-hmm. that thinking of thinking of an audience that way allows a lot of these specialty players to pop up and find them and then yeah. we've got to start talking about how to find them on social media how to identify influencers that aren't necessarily the biggest and the baddest right. but the ones the that biggest. are yeah you're looking f- specifically for influencers that that are speaking engaging your the target that really niche target audience that you've imagined in your head you find them and i mean it's a process and then you have to then you figure out what you need to do to engage that audience what language you yeah. need what scenarios they're most interested in um what you know if you start them to get outside yeah exactly i mean you don't you, for god's sakes you know you don't want to you don't want to hit a bunch of like brand new skiers with what you really need is an aggressive side cut. I mean, there's certain <laughs> things that you just don't say. To sort of, it's there are different ways to reach and engage different audiences. So that's what's interesting to me because I'm getting more and more and more business. Especially, you know, we provide that as a member benefit at OIA. You can talk to oh, me. Cool. I will do. I will do some custom work for you. We will talk about segmenting. I will segment for you if you're an OIA Great. member. You know, hurry. <laughs> offering soon. <laughs> but yeah, it's it's really important to think through that, especially if you're if you're a uh just a small startup and you're trying to make a you're just trying yeah. to make ends meet, then let's talk. And you know, 
we can we can find a way to do this, but you've got to be really smart about how you dose your resources. And if you've got limited resources for marketing, you really want to expend most of your resources making your product in the first few years, but marketing's really important. And um, the more information you have, the less money you have to spend on marketing. There you go. Yeah, if you're going to have a niche product, you ought to be able to reach a niche audience with the exact communication strategies and through the correct channels to, to be able to maximize that profit. Maximize you know revenue, what? minimize cost. Patrick and I do not make any more money when you come to us. <laughs> we, we, yeah. we really, we really not don't. Last, I will say last week that somebody offered me shoes for life. That was pretty cool. I, I, I politely wow. declined, but shoes for life. Shoes for life. <laughs> I was. Psyched. We don't wear the same size shoe, do we? Because we could. I could make you a deal. I don't know. I wear. I'm basically. I'm between an eight and a half and a nine. Women's. That would be a seven. I doubt you have size seven feet, Patrick. No, you're not. You're not really a. You're not a small I'm a, guy. I'm a. I'm a pretty small guy. I'm not that small. Yeah. Um. But I. Yeah. I. I. I dig where we ended up. Like, um. If you're gonna have a niche product, it's important for you to actually reach that niche audience and not waste your resources, your very limited resources, on trying to sell to everybody because not everybody wants it. The the unique product for the unique individual is gonna be reached through unique marketing and communication strategies, uh-huh. and that's only achieved through consumer research. So call high, quali- high quality high quality consumers. I'm looking at, well, you know, if it's, if it's bike, I've done this to you before too. I've punted straight. Yeah, to I know, you. I know, I know. That's cool. I dig it. And this also, do, don't forget, there's crossover. So the people that's, that 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 are that are hiking, they're biking, they're skiing, they're you know, yeah. I think the time the time has has come for us to start talking about doing no a crossover ways. study. Yeah, no. I love it. Awesome. Thanks for listening to Inside the Outdoors, presented by People for Bikes and the Outdoor Industry Association. We'll see you next time.